as we head into God's word, why don't we uh, go to God in prayer? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of heading into your word each and every week. We pray that by heading into your word each and every week, it does not become something that seems mundane to us, but it's something that is brought alive by your spirit. That we may experience this word not just and not just leave and be the same, but that your word and spirit may drive us to live changed lives for you and to more exemplify who Christ was and how he lived. Our prayer is that you do that for each of us, and myself included here in this moment. Amen. Today we get to begin a new uh, sermon series, and we're calling this series, You Have Heard It Was Said. There's some sections in Scripture where... um, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says these words somewhere. I'm going backwards. There it is. You have heard it was said. He takes, what he takes is a familiar piece of teaching, something that was familiar, a phrase that the the people he's teaching have heard before, and then he goes on to elaborate on that teaching, sometimes correcting that teaching and showing how that teaching is wrong or how it's been interpreted to be wrong. It's kind of like a picture, as uh, Steve Germany and I were talking about it, is this picture is a pretty familiar one. It's Jesus' depiction of him preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, And what we thought about is When Jesus says, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye, or you have heard it was said, you shall not murder, what we pictured is this picture in kind of a felt board setting. Is anyone familiar with felt boards? All right, I had many a children's message given to me on felt boards. And the idea with felt boards is to to have a way of understanding and seeing things moving around and in boiling it all down to like a moral teaching. What's the one thing we need to get when we hear this story? So when Jesus says, you have heard it was said, I picture this felt board Jesus teaching his people. But then as he goes on teaching, I don't necessarily think of felt board Jesus anymore because what he does is takes, takes whatever teaching he's talking about, you shall not murder, it essentially makes it harder for any of us to stand. And you'll kind of get to see that as we go through this series, looking at these different uh, sections of Scripture where Jesus takes what was the requirement of the law or what was the common believed thing of the day and shows it to be more difficult than we realize to truly follow God and what he is asking of us. He takes whatever the heart of the command is and brings it forward. So we're going to begin today and we're going to spend the next about, I think, five weeks in within this series in Matthew chapter 5. And so if you grab your Bible, the black Bible there, it'll be on page 786. 
Students, if you have your Bibles with you, that'll be on page 1,177. And today's passage is going to be, you have heard it was said, do not murder. Murder is one of these things that is maybe has caused people here in the United States to become calloused to. It's something that we see all too often through, through killing, through murder, through war, that we almost cannot open up a paper or watch the news to hear about something new that has happened. From hearing this last week about reports that there are mass graves within Ukraine of citizens. Or if we step back to last year or the years before, reports from Canada that included 751 child graves at a school in Saskatchewan. Or out of uh, British Columbia, another 215 graves. We hear about killing and murder and high-profile cases that have happened in the last couple years, names like Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd maybe come to mind. Or even, or even other ones. There's another high-profile case this last year where Alec Baldwin used what was believed to be a prop gun with a prop shell and killed a cinematographer. And most recently, we've heard about it and it's come close to home here in Grand Rapids. Patrick Laoya. He maybe comes to mind. Some of these cases we, we see as those who were killed. Some of these cases were, were murders. Some of these cases are in the gathering of evidence stage and in, in, in limbo of waiting. But nonetheless, they fit into this concept of where we're going today the concept of murder in our minds. So let's read uh, this passage, Matthew 5, starting at verse uh, 21. You have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. When we first hear this verse, you have heard it was said, 
to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Seems like a pretty low bar. Not fully confident, but I, I'm pretty sure that none of our names would be on that list. That, that we have not ever given physical punishment to someone to the point of them not being able to live anymore. And, and if we stay in felt, bored, Jesus, checking the box mentality, Guys, I'm a pretty good guy. You can pat yourself on the back. You're you're a pretty good person. You haven't you haven't ever done that. I'm not that bad. I've never done that. Put the green checkbox right there. But the reality is, as we've maybe seen on crime programs like NCIS or CSI or Hawaii Five-0 or True Crime or whatever other ones there are, there's more than one way to kill someone, isn't there? And Jesus wants to show us that the heart of the matter goes beyond the physical. He takes this one statement from the the Ten Commandments, perhaps you remember it as, and, and he wants to drill down into the heart of what that statement actually means and to show us how, and to show the Israelites at that time, how the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had, had misinterpreted that passage to really only mean the physical nature of killing or murdering somebody. But Christ says murdering is not only physical, and he goes on to say, I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to that same judgment. As Jesus begins to bring about this this deeper meaning of the law, he, he takes the bar from blunt force killing trauma and he raises it up a little bit. There's a, a pastor named Sinclair Ferguson and he says we must not only be aware of blunt force trauma, but we, may, we must also be aware of sharply expressed trauma within our life. And it's here that Jesus wants to, to work to help us understand that sharply expressed trauma towards someone else is, in fact, the same thing. And we would be liable to the same judgment then as those who practice blunt force trauma. It's actually the 16th century teaching tool, the Heidelberg Catechism. We mentioned it earlier in the service that, that has uh, some teaching as well on, on this particular commandment. And, and they too move beyond the felt board Jesus into the realm of recognizing the difficult nature and the high bar that the 
the law, particularly here in the case of murder that God has for us. Uh, I, oh, this is supposed to be question answer 107, or 105, not 107. What does God will for you in the sixth commandment? goes on to say, I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look or gesture, and I'm certainly not by actual deeds. I am not to be party in this to others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. And that's where we're going to stop with, with the reading of this one. And then question 106 has an answer that says this, by forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. Murder by action is in the same sentence as those things that can spew out of our mouth. Gossiping, bad-mouthing, gesturing, belittling, insulting. All of those plays placed in the same category as blunt force trauma. Sharply expressed trauma within our life is the same as those who actually do it because the intent is there. I wonder when we move away from that felt board Jesus, hey, I'm kind of a good, good guy, into this understanding of belittling and in hating or, or anger or, or gossiping or insulting or gesturing or bad-mouthing. How many of us could stand in front of the judge then? I wonder, close your eyes with me, no hand-raising here. Have any of us ever belittled someone? Have we ever made someone feel less than important? Have we ever joined in or insulted an individual? Have we ever openly been disrespectful towards others out of frustration and anger? Have we ever badmouthed someone publicly or privately? I think that's one that can be difficult. Have we ever badmouthed the a senator or a president or a representative or a governor. I wonder in the last four years, with presidents from, from each major party, have we ever been found in that area where we are bad-mouthing or belittling or insulting? think about that. It seems like politics often get us to this point where we're, we're so passionate about things that we want to have things a certain way, and when it doesn't happen, we easily transition into the bad-mouthing and the belittling. But it happens even elsewhere. I 
traveled to Wisconsin. Uh, I think I left my house and was back within 28 hours just to attend a funeral of a close family friend. And, and, and in the one time I watched the news in Wisconsin, what appeared on the news was out of West Dallas. It's a suburb of Milwaukee, and they were talking about this guy that uh, they found out who he was that had been putting belittling and traumatizing notes on people's cars because, well, they had a different skin color than he did. And, and not only was sharply extressed trauma, but it was also almost physical trauma because he would not only put the note on the car, but he would put it on the seat after breaking the window and then slashing the tires. We think about these people that go to action as so different from us, but what Christ is saying, those very words coming out of our mouth, those very thoughts in our mind that are, are an anger of an insult, of a gossip, of a frustration towards another individual are just the same as if we would have actually done what we said. The result based on what what Jesus did with this command, this expansive view means that we all have broken it. None of us by blunt force trauma, but surely by sharply expressed trauma. The sad thing about sharply expressed trauma is that it often typically doesn't stay within our, our brain. If if uh, uh, someone at a, a work environment gets yelled at by their boss, if, if maybe a boss speaks harshly to an administrative assistant, then that administrative assistant, when he goes home, maybe he's going to talk and, exp and, and share sharply expressed trauma that he experienced with, with his kids and maybe with, with his wife and then and then his children are going to then move on and, and cause sharply expressed trauma to be experienced by their brothers and their sisters and the dog. What we see is this sharply expressed trauma, the belittling, the, the anger, the frustration, the gossiping, all of those things when it comes out of our mouth, it never can go back in there, right? And, and then it, and it continues to live a life affecting people beyond where our initial frustration actually perhaps was. And what it is, it's that visceral old self within us that visceral anger within us that, that causes us and, and drives us to have that, that first initial reaction of those things that, that we shouldn't have said, the mocking words, the insult, the killing of someone within our mind. And I think, friends, it's too often that our words are overlooked. And, and it's probably all of us, right? Myself included. And before, before our words and our treatment of other people go, go out of control, we need to remember that 
because Jesus said this, it means that he really, truly cares about the things that we say. And not just the things that we say, but the things that we think that, that never make it out of our mouth. Jesus is, is working to, to pioneer within us, to, to, to go down to the deepest root of what murder actually is, and it's, it's something that arises out of our mind before we even say something. It begins with that, uh, I, um, I'm going to quote a uh, commentary I read, it begins with a smoldering anger against someone very close to you. And it goes on to say, all right, you know, it may, never, it may never result in actual murder, but the point of the commandment against murder was not that you should stop short of killing someone, but that you should never get near even the thought that you wish they were dead. There's elsewhere in Scripture where, where we're shown that the words that we speak are so important and and that's in in James chapter 3 it's with the tongue we praise our lord and father right it's with the tongue that we come here on sunday or whatever other days you worship and we speak praises to god and we pray to him and, and we thank God, and we, we do all these things, but then James goes on, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. It's, it's with our mouth that we not only give praise to God, but we, we speak those words. It's with our mind that we not only praise God and perhaps pray internally, but it's with our mind, too, that we think those disparaging thoughts towards others. James earlier, he says, the tongue is such a small member of our body, but yet it directs the whole ship, right? He, he, he likens it to the rudder on a ship. The rudder, compared to like a big carnival cruise ship, is probably pretty small, isn't it? And yet it can direct it and guide it, and it can bring it into port and do all these fine, minute maneuvers. It directs the entire way it is to go, and, and so is the same with our tongue because what comes of our mouth is what has been in our mind. God cares about our words and our speech, and he, he knows that they are so desperately important to how we will direct our life and direct our living. I think as people of God's kingdom and God's grace, though, we don't sit and and, and wallow in, in recognizing that we failed. Because the thing about God's law is not only does it show us our failing, but it, it causes us to want to push closer to Christ and to who he is and what he represents. It shows us how much more we need his grace than we did before. It drives us towards Christ and towards the salvation that he offers that we, we saw was offered through the waters of baptism for Eliora and Amia and for us as well if we think back all those years. It's God's law that, that pushes us to, 
to receive the empowerment from the Spirit to live in a way that differently than we did before. And so Jesus, what he does is he tries to show some practical examples of, of, of what it means and what it means to be his creation, what it means to be one who is saved by him. And, and so he goes on and gives some examples and and here in Matthew 23, he says, Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar with that same tongue that you praise the Lord, but you remember that you have a disagreement with someone, then, then you should stop and you should go and talk to that person. Jesus is all about being reconciled. And what we see here is a picture of what Jesus himself did. God could have chosen to let his anger smolder. God could have chosen to have anger towards his people that he created because of their sinfulness, but instead, because he is a God of love and reconciliation, God then chose to, to do something different. He, he chose to find a way for people to experience that reconciliation. First, it was through the sacrifice of, of sin offerings and so on to God, but then it was through Christ's work on the cross. It was Christ who did the difficult thing, stepping down from his throne to become a human, and, and not a human king, but he came as a baby. You saw Amia and how small she was how dependent she was on others. He, he came to a place of humility, stepping into this world that he would reconcile the world to himself. And then what happens after that is, is Jesus then says, don't stay in this way of uh, with no salvation, but instead follow me and actually fulfill the calling that I've brought you here for. He says to Israel, return to that, that calling of being a light to the world, he, he says earlier in chapter 5. Be in this world living in a manner differently than all the other people that you see, one that emulates reconciliation and love and care, one that recognizes the words we say are so important and are, are the things that are steering the way we live. Work in areas by, by being the light of the world that we may remove systems of injustice. Work in, work in ways where we will preserve the lives of our neighbors. And we could go to Romans to think about those things, those ways in which we could be living, be devoted to one another in love, honoring one another beyond ourselves. Or, or a few verses later, maybe, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. 
the result of Christ and his salvation in our life, the, the result of the law and us driving towards Christ and experiencing the power of the Spirit is that counter-cultural light of the world living. I heard a story from one of our congregation members that I feel like exemplifies this idea of light of the world, counter-cultural living. Uh, he came into the office and he said, well, it was pretty interesting. And, and he went on to say, I sat down by some people uh, for coffee and, and we were having coffee together and all I kept hearing was people complaining about this and complaining about that and complaining about this and it kept going on and on and on and on. And, and then he said, so I said, I don't know about you guys, I got a lot of things to be thankful for. And then all of a sudden, a couple of the other guys said, well, we all got things to be thankful too. And he said, well, let's hear them. Where is that counter-cultural living in our life? It's so easy to go back to that old nature, but where is it that we can recognize that counter-cultural living? Those ways in which we can push others further towards Christ. Where is it that we can continually treat everyone with dignity and honor, honoring them above ourselves to, to work at living in peace with everyone? We heard, we heard some of the, the same things that we are to do. Oh, it's not here. Uh, in question 107 that we read earlier, by condemning envy and hatred and anger, God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. We live by loving our neighbors as ourselves. We live by, by being patient, by, by being peace-loving and gentle. We live out the life of Christ by being merciful and friendly to them. We live out lives of Christ by protecting them from harm as much as we can and even doing good to those who we consider our enemies. So as we go from this place today, remember as, as we think, as we go through our day, as we experience frustrations, that it's, it's God who cares about those. He cares about those words from your mouth. He cares about those thoughts in your minds. But even if you have them, God has grace that should drive you more and more to Christ who is our Redeemer and Savior. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, help us, each one of us, to not think of us as, as better, as better than, as, as more worthy than, as, as higher up, but instead cause us to recognize, just as Christ did, as he came low, cause us to, to get low and, and recognize that we, we are not perfect and, and we, are, we are not following things the way that you always want to. Drive us towards your grace. But more so, Lord, empower us by your spirit that we may live changed lives, that we may change our speech, that we may change our thoughts that drive our body in how we live. Work within us your grace of sanctification as we can more and more live out that calling of being the light of the world 
as countercultural people through the example of Christ and the power of the Spirit. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.